You are listening to a Nerd Room Podcast, a member of the Star Wars Commonwealth Podcast Network. Be sure to check out more from the Star Wars Commonwealth on the web at StarWarsCommonwealth.com and take your first steps into a larger world. Everyone and welcome to the Nerd Room. We talk all things Star Wars, Marvel, and DC. This is a very special episode, picking up where we left off with Star Wars Rebels Alert. We are really far behind, but we're here to discuss everything that happened from the mid-season break on. Now, I'm one of your hosts, Tim. I'm Troy. And man, you know, we're huge Rebels fans. And we did have a show where we kept up with each and every episode, but due to life, we have fallen quite considerably behind. But I'm pleased to be here to present our final thoughts on Star Wars Rebels. We're going to be discussing, as I mentioned right two seconds ago, the last five or six episodes here, basically from the mid-season break on, hitting on some of the key moments and some of the significant moments from the back half of this incredible, incredible series. But first, Troy, I got to hear, how are you feeling with the conclusion of Rebels? Oh, completely satisfied. You know, it's it's bittersweet. Um, but, you know, we got the warning going back to last celebration that this was the final season for Rebels, you know, going with season four, we end the conclusion here and um, it delivered. It, it certainly yeah, did, man. Absolutely. Like heart racing, you know, we had a bit of an issue here in Canada because we were a bit behind on some of the episodes because of the release schedule. For whatever reason, this mid-season break forward, Canada, we got them a week later than the U.S. So it's dodging spoilers, but we managed to make it through most of this. I know both you and I were spoiled on a very particular point here. And on that point, actually, I'm going to say spoilers for everything in Rebels from basically the start to finish. We're going to be discussing and bringing in elements from previous seasons, the implications of things that happened earlier on in this season, as well as these huge episodes. So Big spoiler tag from this point forward, we'll be going into deep discussion on Rebels itself. But yes, I agree, man. This this thing fully delivered. Filoni went out with a bang here. and He had this unique opportunity with Rebels that he didn't get with Clone Wars, is that he chose to end this series the way he wanted. He seemed to, as we're going to discuss, build a lot of elements earlier on in the season, even all the way back into Season 2 and Season 3, that were wrapped up nicely here. And to be honest with you, things didn't quite go the way I expected, but coming out the back end of it, I'm very happy that they didn't go the way that I expected. <laughs> That's nice. I bet a lot of fans coming out of Last Jedi feel the same way or wish <laughs> how you feel. But, um, you know, this this is great overall because we've got a, con- a nice complete story, you know, going back from Clone Wars even all the way to Rebels. It feels like everything has been wrapped up. And um, hopefully now we can move forward and get out of this this era of Episode 3 and 4, you know, that 19-year, that mm-hmm. 20-year gap. Um, it feels like everything's closed, especially coming up now to uh, Han Solo. Once that movie's over, I feel like... Besides my boy Obi-Wan Kenobi, there's nothing else we really need to touch on in this era. No, I agree. I think that this season, particularly this season, ends in a certain way where we don't have to really worry too much about heading back into this era. That It really propels the story way forward past Endor and kind of gives us at least some inclinations as to what Filoni might be doing next with the animated series within Star Wars. Yes, 
Absolutely. And I'm really looking forward to that. But enough of all this. We're going to get into all sorts of discussion as, as we get to the back end of this episode in particular. But I just want to talk, before we kind of really get into the mid-season break forward, there's three or four episodes there that we didn't really discuss in too much detail, detail and that's Kindred, Crawler Commanders, and Rebel Assault. Now, I just, just want to touch on this because of a few elements that were built into this that have some implications for Jedi Knight, the first episode coming out of the mid-season break. Now, Hera, now she's become a, a major, major character within Star Wars, and she seemed to be one of the key focal points going into this season as well as coming out of it. Now, she was captured here, but before all that, we got kind of this pseudo-battle of Lothal, which saw the introduction of the X-Wings into the Rebels cartoon. Now, my personal feeling on that is that it was really cool to see Hera piling them. It was really cool to see a, a rebellion assault on Lothal that inevitably failed. But I felt that the X-Wing themselves were kind of underwhelming in their introduction into the series. What are your thoughts on that? Because there's such a huge part of the Star Wars universe going from Rogue One forward, essentially, that I thought we're going to get a big storyline here about the introduction, where they got them from, why they had to introduce them at this point in the battle. Did you find yourself feeling that way? Um, not, not particularly much, just because I've never considered myself a big vehicle junkie when it comes to the Star Wars universe. But if I was, I probably would feel a little let down. I honestly feel like uh, two things with Rebels. I thought we were going to get more explanation of the X-Wing stuff and a little bit more of Wedge once he was introduced, I think season three. I thought yep. we were going to get a little bit more of, you know, um, development between the vehicles and uh, and wedge but apart from that i'm more so of a, a jedi lightsaber force user kind of guy so i'm all about that kind of lore so it didn't didn't bother me too much but what i do like is um the tone they start to set once we had these last three episodes leading up to that mid winter yeah. break um with the hair being captured i love her fight uh her and uh uh is it crook or grook oh rook rook yes. yeah I, I love the fight between those two uh that's great yeah, and, and it's, you know, it's a really good season for Hera. This was really her season, I felt like, the most part. It, of, so. it very much so was. And you see them positioning her to carry something else going forward. Now, whether that's a film or some sort of TV series, you know, we just got the Favreau announcement. And you go to the end of this, and you clearly can see that they're planting seeds for the future for a lot of these characters. But you're right. This was Hera's season, her coming out season, where she was propelled to the forefront, even somewhat more so than Ezra and Kanan. Now, they got the back half of this season, which, like, as you mentioned, as a force-wielder, lightsaber kind of guy, that back half of this season really satisfied that end of it. But coming up into the, the first part of this season was very much Hera's show. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I love, like, if you look even to the comics right now, Hera is firmly in the Afra comic, which is really cool. And she's taken center stage within the Forces of Destiny. So you're seeing her penetrate a lot of the different media within Star Wars. So this is something that we, I've talked about with Mark over at TSW quite a bit about, is about how Hera, they, they seem, Lucasfilm seems to be setting her up for something bigger. And now we got the reveal at the end of this season about her having a son. And that's pretty cool too, because that now evolves the character into something completely different. So I love Hera, and I wrote an article actually over on StarWarsCommonwealth.com recently about how my daughter found her Star Wars, and it was through this last episode, Rebels Assault, 
and her seeing Hera. Now she called it the star, the spaceship show that she wanted to watch, not particularly Star Wars, but I thought that she really connected with Hera. And so my appreciation for that character went up tenfold, even beyond kind of, I had this extreme appreciation before, but it's even more so because I find that that was a really cool avenue in for my three and a half year old daughter. See, that's incredible. And that's, that's what it's all about. You know, Rebels, you know, the animated platform, it gives you that audience, that new audience. And what it can do is just incredible, whether it's Force of a De- Forces of Destiny or the Rebels show or who knows, even that Lego little run they had going on. Yep. It's just cool that they can gear towards all these different audiences. So um, is, is Hera, you said she's in Afro then? Yes. So right yeah, she's, she's appearing in Afro. She's, there's a small arc going on where, where she's right in the comic book. That's cool. So this that would obviously take place between episodes four and five then. That yes, it part does. Then, eh? Yeah. That's cool. Okay, good to know. Yeah. So you were seeing her in the, the pre-battle of Yavin, well into post-battle at Yavin within the comics and even within the Force of Destiny, and now even beyond Endor. So it's, it's pretty cool. You know, she's the only one, I think, if, if I'm now, correct me if I'm wrong, for a character that was introduced in this series or in a cartoon series that wasn't previously introduced in a film she's the only one i think that's appeared in every piece of media she's got a novel she's got a comic book that she's appeared in she's in the force of destiny she's mentioned in the film so i guess she really hasn't been played in the films but she is mentioned by name Mm -hmm. and she has this animated series so she seems to cover everything that's pretty cool now they just got thrown in a video game that's all we need Exactly. Oh, man, we, need a, awesome. we need a proper live action appearance of Hera, not just a mention and kind of a nod towards that character. But yeah, I'm looking forward to that. that that's got to be on the horizon, I would think. That's cool. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Nice call. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. Well, let's get into this. Going from the mid-season break, and I will stress again, major spoilers going forward here because we're going to discuss right off the top here, the episode Jedi Knight. Now, this goes coming out of the mid-season break, and it's the Rebels, actually, or the Ghost crew, going out to rescue Hera from Governor Price and Admiral Thrawn. Now, the big thing that happens in this episode, outside of Price torturing Hera and Hera going into this kind of real funny slurry kind of drunk (laughs) state which I really actually enjoyed but we've got Kanan now this is his big episode he he changes his look after hearing the name Doom from the Lothwolf in the previous episodes and he goes back to something a little different he takes the mask off he shaves his head lops the beard off goes to something that's very much more kind of clean cut and it was interesting because I liked even that Hera in the episode called it out. I hate your hair. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a cool look. You know, we, we got to see that in the trailer, you know, him kind of doing that sequence of, uh, you know, giving himself a little trim. And yeah. um, I honestly like the look. It's cool. I, I wish we got to hang on to it a little bit longer. But, um, man, it, it was great. I mean, spoilers, besides the spoil, be us being spoiled for that episode, I think we kind of knew uh, there was some foreshadowing that it was going down, what was going to happen with this character. And this was his, his farewell, um, just especially the way he was talking with Ezra throughout the episode. Yeah. But, um, man... Oh, this episode here was great. This to me almost feels like this is when the season really starts. Or you could even say this feels like when they do something like Breaking Bad and it's although it's one season, they split it between season five and six. Yeah. This part all here feels like it could stand alone on its own season, maybe like a season five, if you will. Yeah, it definitely is because it really moves towards a conclusion, but at the same time, it introduces a lot of new elements. Now, whether that's force or you know aspects of our ghost crew characters, it doesn't take an opportunity to close everything out in the last few episodes. It really runs forward and introduces a lot of new elements that really blows up this universe. 
And I can really appreciate that because they could have really taken an opportunity just to say, you know, each episode is an episode to say goodbye to a character, goodbye to Zeb, yeah. goodbye to Kanan and all that. But they really went for it here and really it's interesting because I didn't think that they're going to go and expand the idea of the force so much. We saw some of that or a lot of that in the last Jedi and some of it was kind of hit and miss with these new elements being introduced as far as Kylo and Ray and what Luke can do, the force projection and all that. But here they, they kind of don't really get going up until the next few episodes. But again, I like that they took this opportunity to have a very dramatic moment at the start of this midseason or after the midseason break with the death of Kanan. But then yeah. they also pick it up and don't, they didn't really pivot on that so hard that it was like three, four episodes of the build to the death of Kanan. They kind of came right out of the gates and went with it. Well, yeah, and, and that's what I like, the, the pacing with this uh, the, this two-parter here that they're going on with um, Jedi Knight and then leading into um, the next one, which was Doom. Um, I like what they did here because obviously you have a crucial moment with Kanan being taken out, but because this battle is so, uh, I guess, intimate to, to, to uh, Ezra here that they don't really have time to grieve too much and they got to focus on the bigger mission, which is Lethal, because they don't have the backing of the other rebels. So I do like the time they took for these characters to establish how they're feeling about the loss of Kanan. But it all made sense. You know, sometimes we walk these paths of other shows where they don't spend enough time on the morning or it's 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 too long. But this just felt particularly right with what they've established already in this world. So uh great job with Filoni, man. Filoni got lots to say about that guy coming up later in this episode for sure yeah definitely and you know you see you hit it right there is is the pacing of this right from this episode going forward it's breakneck there's not a lull i don't think in any of this and the quieter moments are i think earned because they've given you something huge like you look at this episode and they're airing these back to back which was nice too you weren't breaking for a week before you got the next episode because they're really very much two-part episodes one Either you start with a big reveal and then you have a bit of a slowdown and you see how the ghost crew reacts to it or you build up to something huge and you kind of have a reveal and then you move on to something next. And it all seems like it builds, it escalates throughout the season. You think that the death of Kanan would be almost your climax of this season, but it turns out to be one of the few on the way to the very big one at the end. Yeah, yeah, excellent. And uh, man, the, the music they had going on, I, I, I've got the composer's name uh, who's been doing this season. And you and I always talk about it, you know, since we started this show is how great the score is throughout this whole uh, series. And wow, the moment that Kanan has where he does the whole sacrifice, pushes um, Hera away and, you know, gets his whole crew out of there. The music just it hits you. It hits you hard. Yeah. And uh, just hats off to the to the music throughout this whole show. Yeah, it plays a character very much like we see it in the films, a score playing a character. Rebels has, has pulled on that thread, and you hit it there. Like we, We've commented on this since we started talking about Rebels in a lot of detail, is the score, it always brings us in. This is something that could have been left in the background, but they've picked it up. They use elements of John Williams' score from the films. They pull in their own thing, and they make it their own. They make it a Rebels score, but it feels like a Star Wars score, which is yeah. awesome. Definitely. Now, now let's let's talk about Kanan's sacrifice itself. Now, when you're watching this, did you actually feel this was going to happen this way? Did you, could you appreciate as it was happening, you know, that we were actually building towards the death of Kanan? Because when I watched this, I was like, they're not going to do it this way. This isn't how he goes. Of course, we knew that he was going to be sacrificing himself in some way, but I thought it was going to be a lot different. But how it turned out, I absolutely loved it. 
yeah, it was great. I mean, I must have been a dummy because I was spoiled going into this episode. But as I'm watching this episode, I'm counting the beats and I'm waiting for that moment of when he's going to die. And I'm counting the beats, counting the beats. And I'm like, wait a second. Totally went over my head. I'm like, Kanan saved the day. They're going to make it out. Everything's fine. Totally forgetting that he is, he's, he's a dead man walking. And that scene, like I just mentioned before, when he um, uses the force in such a incredible way, this 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 way made a lot of sense for me how um, Dave Filoni did that, you know, and he gets his vision back and he pushes out oh. uh, here and he gets to see her. Like all that attention to detail was just incredible. But um, then that's when it hit me. And I was like, oh my God, I forgot. That's right. Like he, he's going to bite it. And they pulled it off in such a great way. This is one of the best, probably one of the best deaths I've seen in Star Wars handled, especially on a cartoon platform like this for kids. I think they handle it in just a, a great way. So good. So well done. Yeah, I have to agree, man. Like, it's, I was the same way. I'm watching this and I'm not believing it's going to happen. When him and Hera get to the top of this big tanker thing, I'm thinking, okay, they're going to get picked up and we're going to sail off to the next episode. I was spoiled as well, but I just assumed it was in the second episode of it all. I thought it was in Doom. I just, I looked at the episode titles. I should have maybe been able to pick it up by Jedi Knight. I don't know, but I I didn't quite get there. So even though I was spoiled, I still felt myself on the edge of my seat thinking, okay, I've got another 30 minutes with Kanan to kind of come to terms with how this is going to happen. And then boom, it happens. She fires that missile at the tanker and the explosion. And I love the look of it all. It's this inferno and yeah. he's holding it back, but he's also having this very intimate moment with Hera and the ghost crew. And when his eyesight comes back, oh. to me, that's just like a transfer into the, the cosmic force, as, as Ahsoka calls it a few episodes later. And you just, there's so much going on there, but it's very quiet, very intimate moment. And the fact that they were able to capture that, like you said, in an animated series meant more for children it's it's really a testament that they can go both ways with this. It can affect us, the emotions of an adult, but also make it so a kid can actually understand what's happening. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, and then going forward after that scene, obviously, when we uh, finally see the ghost crew touch down at base there and the crew just kind of all walks by. Yeah. How do I forget his name? Zeb. When they walk by Zeb and that's just when it feels even that much more real, you know, it just, it just brings that weight and you're just like, wow. Cause you know, for, for me, I'm like almost not even breathing after that scene. And then I'm kind of waiting for the ghost crew to to land and then I can kind of gasp and let it out. And that's when it hits me like, damn, this, this really happened. Like Kanan's gone, you know? So ah, just, just such good writing and attention to detail throughout this whole episode, particularly this moment, just does such a great job of, of just bringing me into this world. Yeah, it, oh man, it totally does. And that, that's a great segue action to the next episode in Doom. And you're right, when these the ghost crew comes off the ship and they all just kind of deal with it in their own way. And another reason I was a bit shocked at, as to when it happened is I had always assumed that the entire ghost crew was going to be there. The fact that Zeb wasn't there, you know, that's a big thing for Sabine and for Ezra and Hera to actually have witnessed what had gone on and some of the other crew members to not actually have that that same impact on them you know they, they feel the death of Kanan but they didn't witness it or weren't part of the sacrifice so it has a lot more meaning for three of those core characters than the rest of the ghost crew now I'm also including Rex and Callus and all that in this but when you look at just purely Zeb I, I don't think it's a missed opportunity not having him there but it was an interesting choice not having this him sacrifice and have the impact on the ghost crew be equal across the board right Okay, yeah, no, it's yeah. true. It's true. Yeah, so the ghost crew in Doom, they all they all kind of choose to deal with this in their own way. 
Sabine and Zeb are more angry. You know, they, they go to plot and attack and they end up fighting Rook. Get Hera, who goes into a bit of a, a slight depression, and you know she she's regretting. She has these these feelings where she should have expressed her love a little earlier, and clearly they did express some sort of love because <laughs> they have a seven year old son post Battle of Endor. I don't know when exactly that happened, <laughs> but it must have happened <laughs> the night before. I'm not sure. <laughs> and, and Ezra on his, in himself, he he seems to turn to the Force a bit more and, and ask the questions of why. He goes on a bit of a journey here with the Lothwolves. And this is when the season in itself really starts to progress the idea of what the Force is. As we mentioned before, I wasn't quite expecting this depth and this amount of revelations as it pertains to the Force and what animals and what characters are are physically capable of we even get to a point in the later few episodes here where we start playing with time and space and that's an interesting element to drop in a series like this especially considering it may have huge implications going forward now they seem to tie that bow up but the first thing they really get us into here is the Lothwolves. Now, we had been introduced from them before. I had a theory that they were purely just a manifestation of the Force and only Ezra and Kanan could see them. But what, what are your thoughts on the Lothwolves here and really this one named Doom, the one that actually physically talks in this episode and seems to be at least some sort of manifestation or at least carrying out the will of Kanan? More that's so the, than anything. That's the best way to put it, actually, because just as you're about to ask me that question, I'm like, I don't really know still how I feel about the wolves or how I'd even explain the wolves to somebody. But you saying, you know, the, the will of Kanan, that makes a lot of sense. That's probably the best way to put it. Um, I, I haven't been the biggest fan of the whole wolves uh, throughout this season. I kind of thought it was going to be more of a connection of how, like, um, I mentioned before, how Jedis have certain powers, whereas yep. Mace Windu has the shatter point. I thought um, Ezra, he does have some kind of beast control, so I thought it was going to be something along those lines. They chose not to go that route, and that's good. I, I do like that because we did get to get this representation of, of Kanan through the Force slash through this wolf. So that was okay. Honestly, the wolves work best for me going later down into a couple episodes later when they do the whole portal. Yeah. That's when they actually work for me the best. Even in this part here was a little rocky how they delivered that that stone mm-hmm. of some sort that had the father, the daughter, and the brother, um, their handprints on there. Still a little shaky at this point, but I do like you know, as we're kind of going out there and, and really diving more so into the forest and looking for some kind of guidance, that kind of works for me. But I'm still kind of shaking on the wolves even now. I think they work best in animated form. And I think that's what makes Dave Filoni so genius in this world of Star Wars is he can deliver the realism that we all know of Star Wars, like the episode of um, uh, Ben Kenobi finally taking off, yes. taking down Darth Maul. Like that works and that could have been done on the big screen. That could have been real life because Dave Filoni gets that. But at the same time, he can give us, you know, the Bendu. He can give us the Force Wolves, or the, 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 the Loth Wolves. And he can also give us, you know, the space whales that only work in an animated form. So I feel like he can deliver on both ends, but he knows kind of how far he can reach. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, um, but all in all, you know, yeah, the, the wolves, I'm still a little shaky on. Yeah. Yeah. I'd have to agree. You know, we, we've talked in the past about what feels like our Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And I think you're you're right there in your explanation of what Filoni is able to do is that he can recognize when he can push the limits of the format because you're you're right if we were to see anything like this in a film 
we we would be like, what is going on here? Like, like even going back to the Bendu or anything yes. like that, is that he's pulled certain elements like Thrawn, like the Jedi that we're familiar with, intertwine that into an overall narrative, but then decides to sidestep that a little bit and make everything feel like Star Wars, but bring in elements that don't fit within the film universe. But right. at the same time, I've now come to an acceptance with all of this that he's created here, that this is now part of my Star Wars. And I really like that. And that's the power of this type of storytelling and multi-platform storytelling is that you can push the limits in other directions without having to sacrifice things like the realism of the films. And I'm hoping we get a lot more of that on this direct streaming service from Disney is let's use the Favreau's TV series or streaming series, whatever you want to call it, to push the limits again of Star Wars. Use the anthology films to do the same thing. Push it outside of the Force, but into something different. So it's expanding Star Wars while not changing the films, the saga films, if you will, too drastically. We got a little bit of that in The Last Jedi, but I think we have to be conscious that and really want this this idea of our Star Wars and how it's evolving and how it's changing and what format it's done. And so, yeah, you're right, man. It's it's all about the format and how Filoni takes advantage of things and uses that to progress his narrative with a different type of storytelling. Because wolves are, are his thing, right? That's that right. like They're very much his thing. And I like that he's found a way to bring them into the universe in a meaningful way. Like, I, I, I still... I still kind of agree with you that they're a little, little overused in the sense that the whole story really hinges on their presence. Yeah. But at the same time, I can accept that, as you put it, with Ezra having a connection to animals, to beasts, yeah. and that them using that as a way to progress something that's a little bit more abstract. Mm-hmm. Because in the absence of them, you now require something a little different to progress this narrative forward, this this idea that they're driving that the force is or can manifest into time and space and temporal difference and all that. So I, I you know, overall, I really like it. And I like yeah. that you have this one wolf that seems to be, as I said, progressing the will of Kanan after his death. So it's a way maybe or a coping me- mechanism that Ezra's using to deal with Kanan's death while also justifying kind of the ends to the overall mean of this battle of Lothal and what they're going to do here in the next few episodes. Yeah. No, I agree, man. I'm right there with you. Yeah. Now, what did you think about this kind of temple key that they were thrown at their feet? Now, you know, you have the experience with the Mortis Arc, the father, son, and daughter i'm not overly familiar with that but did you catch that i guess in the absence of that big mural that we did see but is this something that you're familiar with from clone wars at all like at least this symbology well it's interesting because yeah when we saw that trailer that teaser we we saw the whole um you know moral of those of 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 the father the daughter and the the brother but to be honest, if you've never seen the Clone Wars arc of Mortis, you're, you're totally safe because really they, they're, they're, they're just faces when yeah. it comes to this series of what they've done. They don't touch on anything that's happened in the Mortis arc from the Clone Wars there. So that's kind of nice. Um, when I saw that, I thought we were going to get more kind of connective tissue of what happened on that planet. But they really don't touch upon anything like that. They're, they're, they're just faces, which is kind of neat. I kind of want a little bit more because, you know, there's speculation like was Anakin – the actual chosen one or was he just the chosen one when it came to the planet mortis was he meant to serve his purpose on that planet 
or was he actually meant to do what he did, which is bring balance to the force? You don't really necessarily know. I think it is more so that he just was the one to bring balance to the force. That's the safer yeah. answer you could say. <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> this this stone never made an appearance in, um, at least as far as I can remember, I never saw it in that arc. Um, and we don't see them do anything, right? We just saw them kind of open up that portal once Ezra and Sabine kind of figured it out. So um, it, it, it's great. If, like I mentioned, if you've never seen the Mortis arc, you're, you're safe. It's you're, you're good. Well, that's, that's comforting to know because it, it seems to be one of those things where they seed an idea. It's not too heavily weighed upon that. If you haven't seen the stuff previously, you don't get what's going on. And for me, because I, I don't have a, ton of familiarity with the clone wars and that type in that arc in particular is that it allowed me to get to a point but also gave me a you know something to chase after something to look forward to so it's not like required reading if you will you know mm-hmm. it's, it's that's not necessary for you to understand what's going on but it's something that will enhance the story going back later and revisiting like a mortis arc or something like that so again great storytelling by Filoni and the crew there yeah, and you know it's it's awesome, and it's just him, you know, bridging the gap again from Clone Wars going forward into uh, in, into Rebels. I just love all those tissues that they've been pulling on, and uh, again, it's another story that's been closed. You know, we, we were first introduced to these characters in Rebels, or sorry, in Clone Wars, and their story is now probably complete going forward. So I, I do like that we're closing more doors in this timeline, basically. Yeah, and yeah. well, closing. Maybe one door there, or at least addressing it. They swung open a massive door with the next episode called yes. Wolves and a Door, appropriately named. This is where we have Ezra and Sabine going to the Jedi Temple on Lothal, which we have seen in the past. And what they discover there is the Empire has actually beat them there. Now, the wolves in the previous episode gave an ominous warning that within this temple is knowledge to destruction. Now, we really don't know exactly what that means, but we're quickly introduced to it a little later on but the key things here going into this episode is that we're getting a lot more abstract and i'm actually really really loving what we get here we've got like i said ezra and sabine they're going to the jedi temple and we know we're going to get something big here and even though Hera has some reservations about sending the two of them down there i like that she steps back and says you know this is what kanan needs this is what kanan wants so i'm going to allow you to do this ezra and this shows again some big progression in ezra you remember talking the early part of this season where the inconsistency with ezra it was really bothering us was he this padawan that was graduating into a jedi was he this kind of goofball character that couldn't you know put on a jetpack and do anything other than Mr. Magoo up the scenes, <laughs> but they really nailed down Ezra. And I find that in the previous few episodes here and really coming into this, when he starts to get heavy, heavy focus, they've, they've locked down his character. They're consistent with it. And you see a ton of growth in this character right up until his last moment. Yeah. Well, well put, man. You know, that's the biggest thing for me is always a uh, character development and it was shaky, you know, for the first season two season three was he going dark was he going good is he a goofball is he a leader way too much stuff going on but as these last episodes crawl on us we really see who ezra is becoming and who he's who he will ultimately be going forward and um and this is pretty much the start of that i'd say the last maybe the episode before this is really the start of ezra coming into his his uh maturity of who he's going to be so uh, I really like what they did here. And, and of course, it's classic. We get the whole uh, Stormtrooper gear yes. of, the, of the characters. You, know, you always got to have them go undercover. <laughs> yeah, love it. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's interesting because you go back even a couple episodes 
And with the rescue of Hera, you know, you just reminded me of something there, but Kanan turning to him and said, no, you have to take the lead on this. I'm too close to this. And then you're seeing him dealing with the death of Kanan in not so much an immature way, but a very mature way. He, he's turned and said, no, now I am the Jedi. He seems like almost a guardian of the force in a sense, or a Jedi, or a guardian of the Jedi in some sense. But, you know, he's down to one of the few remaining Jedis in the galaxy that we're aware of. And he really, really takes up that mantle. So I'm, I'm loving what they do with Ezra here. Yeah, it's it's fantastic stuff. And it's, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with Ezra because he's a Jedi or slash Padawan that's coming out of the teachings of a fellow Jedi who was really only a Padawan, Kanan, who never really got to graduate yeah. from the actual Jedi Academy. But yet the last Jedi technically right now is is Ezra and he's done more or he's he's withstand more than what the original Jedi have have done. So it's kind of interesting that we're going more into this format of maybe what Luke was trying to do with uh between the episodes of Return of the Jedi and episode 7 what he sought out to do. So it's yeah. kind of interesting to see that, you know, this final product of where the Jedi ultimately end. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and I got to ask you as we're we're going into more abstract force talk here. Yeah. What did you think about these hyper tunnels? that the wolves took them through in this episode. The whole ghost crew is on the back of these wolves and they end up like disappearing into the grass somehow. And we've seen this, I believe in a, the episodes, maybe just before the winter break where they're in the kind of the hutan or hutans, hoodoos, <laughs> hutans are a, <laughs> it's a small Chinese town in Beijing. Anyways, the, through the hoodoos in that, that rock formation on Lothal and they kind of wander through and they end up going through these portals and they get, end up on the other side of the planet and the big thing is how are the ghost crew going to get to the Jedi temple and they hop on the backs of these wolves and end up into these hyper tunnels where they just disappear and then they wake up and they're on the other side of the planet. What, what are your thoughts on those? <laughs> um, it's it's interesting. Again, it's it's the it's the cartoon format so they can get away with it. Yeah. Um, and I guess, you know, going forward later on when we get the space whales, seeing what they can do with the hyper hyperspace travel yeah. is even a bigger um, – a bigger a bigger path that they've chosen to do so it's it's interesting it does I, i'm kind of like into it now I can, I can believe what's going on because it's the cartoon format i guess but it doesn't it doesn't bother me too much and i guess it's kind of like the game of thrones thing where you can save a lot more time as opposed to having the character yeah. travel you know from country to country you can just kind of speed up a little bit here and, and have them teleport through those uh those stones yeah so it's, it's okay it works for me yeah, it worked for me yeah. too. And it wasn't the first time that they did this. So it wasn't a huge leap because you're about to make a whole bunch more big leaps. And the fact that they had, it, they took the time at least to introduce this idea that they had some sort of hyper tunnel that they could go through. Now, whether that's some sort of point in the force that allows some weakness between space and time and they're able to travel through this, whatever, it doesn't matter to me. They introduced it in the past. So it wasn't a huge leap in this episode. So yeah. I can get on board with it. You know, I don't I don't love the idea of it, but I, I can accept it. And like we said about the storytelling and the format of it, it allows you to do things like that. And I'm happy with it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Now, when we get to the Jedi Temple on Lothal here, there is a character. His name is Minister versus Hayden. Now, the interesting part about this character, as soon as I saw him, I assumed it was the character from Rogue One. Did you feel or did you see the same thing that I did? 
A hundred percent. I was right there with you. I saw him when he when he turned around. I was like, oh my god, that's Vader's minister. That's the dude that takes care of Vader. Yeah, for Vanny. sure. You know. Yeah, I, I thought so. And uh, I don't. You know what? I think I honestly paused the episode and I was trying to figure it out right away. I was trying to Google it and yeah. see whether it's the same character. Unfortunately, it wasn't. I mean, we do see him bite it. I believe he bites it. Yeah, he does. In this episode with, with the temple, but that was cool. I, I like this character actually. I like that him and Sabine can go toe to toe when they're talking about art. Yes. You know what I mean? I, I thought I thought that was great. He's a nice uh, nice one and done character, you could say. Yeah, it was a nice adversary for Sabine to go head to head with, show her intellect and her skills as it relates to art. So I, I really like that. But it's it's interesting because I'm assuming we're not the only ones that felt that way. I'm guessing everyone felt that way. But this character, I went back and did a little digging. And in the behind the scenes, it does say that this character was originally intended to be that same character that is in Rogue One, Darth Vader's. I think his name is Vanny. Uh, really? We do see him in the OT as well. Um, I may be saying his name wrong. I'm terrible with names. But it was originally intended to be this character. So so Vanny is in the original trilogy yeah saying? i think he shows up i i'm not 100 percent sure but i think in return of the jedi there's at least this group of ministers that come off the oh, i think okay. in behind the emperor i'm not 100 percent sure on that i'll have to double check that but he's definitely well, we know he's in rogue one or that character cool. himself okay. and so there was a bit of cross-pollination there that they're going to introduce this character but i guess ultimately they decided not to but he looks very similar the other thing i really like about him is that he's got death troopers with him which means he's part of the Tarkin Initiative mm-hmm. because we had that explained to us before that high-level Imperial officers that were doing scientific things were given a company of death troopers to run with them. So Krennic had them. And it was right. the Tarkin Initiative was introduced, I think, in a comic book somewhere. But Krennic had them. We know that this guy had them. And there's someone else I can't remember that also had them. Um, oh, Thrawn, of course. Right, yeah. Had them because he was doing this TIE Defender thing. So right. anyone that was part of this big initiative got the Death Troopers. So they, they spent a lot of time actually in this series tying Rogue One into the bigger universe. We see a lot of U-Wings that the Rebels have here. We see you know the Death Troopers. In previous episodes, we saw the hover tanks from Rogue One as well. <clears throat> so they did a really good job integrating Rogue One more so than any other film into this series and i can really appreciate that and i also love seeing death troopers for sure and then we got the saw Gerrera for a little bit yes, of this season yeah, too of which is great which is probably in my opinion the best representation we've had of the character on rebels i actually liked him more in rebels than i did in rogue one so yeah shout out to dave filoni again and, and the rogue one team everybody just bringing the tissues together yeah yeah he's he's doing his thing man they're yeah. they're they're giving us the star wars that we really want this interconnected storytelling this continuum of arcs and ideas and elements that were brought in from Rogue One, brought in from the Clone Wars, from Filoni's previous work, and even, I think, progressing further into the future because eventually in this next episode, we're getting voiceovers from Kylo, from Rey, from Poe Dameron, from Maz. So it's it's really taking everything. This seems to be, I think we've said this in the past, this, this glue that's holding this whole universe together and is being used to tie all the different rogue elements. I'm going to use that word rogue rogue elements all over the place and bringing it and it's making it feel like a single universe while also in itself expanding on the storytelling yeah see and that's what i gotta appreciate the most is what this does because like you mentioned it brings everything together i feel like 
the movies haven't been doing so much of that. It's kind of like what the MCU's been doing with maybe you could uh, vouch for this uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or yeah. the Netflix where they're kind of ignoring what's going on on the small screen. But I feel like this show does everything from the books like you mentioned. I think even last season we we saw that they kind of touched on Genosis and they touched on that Queen's Egg from yeah. Darth Vader's comic yes. book. Like all that stuff going on there is is brilliant to me. And, and for you know people like us and like, probably everybody else in the Commonwealth at least – um, and anybody else that's listening that's really just a diehard Star Wars fan, you can appreciate that stuff because you can just sink your teeth into all this lore that's all going down in Rebels. It's 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 so good. I really appreciate the fact that we got an episode or a show that's doing that, that's bringing everything together. Love yeah. it. It merely validates all of the extra time and effort we put into not only reading, but discussing and theorizing and speculating on what all of this means. I feel like this show is made by a bunch of people that are doing the same thing we're doing. They just yes. get paid to put it to screen, <laughs> which is brilliant. <laughs> like they seem like fans themselves and they take the opportunity and, and want that opportunity to tie in the bigger universe. And they've got the approval from Lucasfilm to do just that. You know, they're not really affecting a lot of OT characters or characters we're seeing within the new saga films. But they are taking a lot of elements that were built in the past, and particularly in Road 1, and tying all of that together. So super appreciative of that. But going forward here, they start to break some very, very new ground. We see Ezra and Sabine. They end up opening up this gateway. Now, this is using the keystone that they had, and Ezra using the Force to change the hands here of, I believe it's the son or the father. Anyways, it doesn't really matter at this point, but he does find this gateway. So we see the Lothwolf moving off of this mural, and they create this gateway, which is really cool to see. And at the end of this first episode, him and Sabine are getting pressured by the Empire, and Ezra just jumps into this portal goes off into something different. Really a worlds between worlds as the next episode's called. So with Ezra now inside the Jedi Temple portal, he finds himself in really this brand new space. Now, when I'm watching this, I'm thinking, what is going on here? But I'm embracing every moment of it because they don't just throw you into this weird deep end of something completely different. They lace this thing with so many familiar voices that it brings you right into the episode. Now, I rewound and paused this thing and was trying to just figure out what was going on because before watching it, you told me, dude, put some headphones on when you watch this episode and just concentrate. And man, did it deliver even at the start of this. Like I said, it didn't require you to go too far into the episode before you felt like you were in something familiar, but you're way off the map when it comes to Star Wars. Yeah, this, wow, this this is crazy. What a way to start off an episode. Um, you know, what they did a great job of doing with the beginning of this is when Ezra goes into that portal, you almost feel like now that you're Ezra, like you are now in this whole brand new world. Like you thought you knew the world of Star Wars and now you've hopped into something completely different. Um, the voices, you know, from Kylo Ren, from Rey to Obi-Wan Kenobi, um, maybe even Yoda. There's so many voices that you hear going on and you're just like, Again, this goes back to what we just talked about, connecting everything in this show. You know, you're hearing The Last Jedi stuff. You're hearing just everything in here. And I was blown away. I just thought, hats off to these guys. This is so cool. And for me personally, people might not like what they did. 
for me, I really like what they did here for this world. It, in some ways, it kind of makes sense uh, what, what happens in space and, and the time continuum and all that kind of stuff going on. I just I feel like that works in this world again in this platform. This is something you can do again over and over again. I feel like this is a one and done, but I feel like Dave Filoni's kind of earned to do this uh, at this moment, moment of time in Star Wars. So I really appreciate what they did here. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I agree with you, man. They kind of went there a bit in Last Jedi with the Ray mirror scene. They started yeah. to kind of broach that. But here they go full on. And now we talked about voices. I, I went online and actually looked. So there's voices from Qui-Gon, Anakin Skywalker from the Clone Wars, Yoda. No that's all in the past, in the present, so kind of concurrent with what's going on in Rebels. You hear the voices of Jyn Erso, Chirrut, and Kanan. And in the far-flung future, you hear... Leia, Maz, Finn, Ray, Poe, and Kylo. It's all interbedded in there. Now, if you go online, there is a fan that pulled together. I, I, it escapes me at the moment who did, but pulled together and overlaid each voiceover with the scene where it comes from. So it's on wow. YouTube. I'll try to link it with this episode. I'll give them proper credit because it's absolutely incredible. It wasn't us that did it. Someone else did this. And so you watch it, and as you're watching it, each voice, a pop-up comes like it's actually really well integrated into the show but a pop-up comes and shows the actual scene which is pulled from which wow. is the clone wars or the ot films ray kylo and ray and that was kind of how i figured out well outside of reading it when someone else broke it down but that's kind of how i figured out that oh poe is actually in there mass like i didn't catch all of those different things and the kind of the big ones for me yeah is yoda you hear obi-wan but th- it was kylo and ray that really, really struck yes. me, especially yeah. the Kyle. I will finish what you started. Like oh. that blew my brain apart because that's really the first time that there is solid linkage to the new saga films in really anything outside of that. Not I want to say isolated, but outside of those two films, right? Like you go mm-hmm. back to there's yeah, there's nods and all that, but this is like a direct clip out of that film because he's able to see through all the different times, past, present, and future. I just love that they went that extra step and included that. Like they could have really shied away from doing out anything outside of maybe Obi-Wan or Yoda or stuff from the Clone Wars that they kind of have access to. But no, they went huge with this, and I freaking love it. Yeah, it's massive. And I know I know you're a time junkie. I know you love Back to the Future and all that kind of stuff and the X-Men timelines. But I really feel like this is some of the best use of time travel that you could have ever possibly done. It, it really makes sense. By the time you see this episode and then you finish it and how they bring back a certain character that we'll touch upon later, obviously, it all actually makes perfect sense. It doesn't, doesn't mess up anything. No. No, and I think that that's the importance of it is – and I don't really know what – and how they set the rules up for Star Wars time travel. Now, this is the first time we're ever seeing this, and it's important to set up rules, but they didn't really take the time to do that. They kind of showed us the rules, but it was really this character that they bring back. So Ezra ends up kind of walking through here, hearing the voices, seeing these portals into what seemed to be very significant moments. And he does see the battle between ahsoka and vader now we never got to see the end of this and we've been speculating for the better part of two years now as to is ahsoka alive and i always had this theory that she was in some sort of forced purgatory that we do see that clip at the end of that episode where she kind of turns around and wanders back towards the sith temple and my assumption was that she was stuck there she was in between life and death 
and it was going to require something further to push her out into the cosmic force. Well, it turns out that Filoni, through some great insight and foresight, answered all of our questions with this episode here. And like he said at Celebration, Ahsoka lives. Yes. Ezra pulled her out of that battle with Vader. Now, the thing I like about this and what rule it sets up is when she does go back, that's the scene that we saw. So she's yanked out of that battle with Vader, and then she hops back into that same portal, and that's that little clip that we saw of her escaping and then coming back into the timeline, almost where she left. So my assumption from that is that anything that happens as far as tweaking the timelines has already happened in history. So you don't go back and change anything. It's already changed and already happened. It's just you're seeing the act of it occurring. Yeah. So that's what it sets up for me as far as time travel in Star Wars, is that you look at his opportunity to save Kanan. To me, if that had have already, or if that had have occurred, if Ahsoka didn't really talk him out of it, then all of those events wouldn't have transpired that way as we saw them. It's not kind of this continuum. It's almost this weird loop where anything that has happened would have already, it's kind of hard to explain, but (laughs) anything that has happened, if it was tweaked, you would have seen it happen as it unfolded. So it's never a change to the timeline. Anything that has been changed has always been changed. So it's it's just, I think that's a, a simple and elegant way of doing it because it avoids this idea that you can go in and tweak the future, tweak the past and kind of mold it to your own will. It's kind of, the timeline is something that's, if it has been affected by time travel and changes, it has always been affected by time travel and changes. So therefore, you can't screw with the timeline. Exactly, yeah. Everything's already been in motion. There yeah. was never a moment where Soka was killed and then Ezra went back yes. and then revived her. It was already happened that way. And then it makes perfect sense when she explains to Ezra that if you pull Kanan out of that fire or out of that explosion, it will destroy everything that has already brought you to this moment. So it just won't work. It doesn't make any sense. So just with those simple rules there that Filoni's established... I took it and I believed it and I'm running with it. Yeah, uh, I love what they did. And another big thing here, which is so important, which is what I've been, I've been kind of lacking in the movies, is the vision of what's going on. This whole world building. And Filoni knew, you know, two years ago exactly what he's doing. He, we saw the sketch of Ahsoka walking out of that temple, like you mentioned. He knew full well what he's going to do, obviously, with this character. I just love that plan that he's had, that that attack of plan that he's had this whole time, and he executed it just fantastic. Uh, whereas opposed to we're not getting that in the movies. So um, just hats off again to Floney. Um, you're you're going to hear me throughout this whole episode probably bring his name up quite a bit. If you go back to our our one of our episodes with uh, Kyle there at Tumbling Saber, our Star Wars Mount Rushmore, Floney was on mine. Yeah. I, I love this guy, what he does here. So um, he just he just knocked it out of the park here once again for me. Great. Yeah, you know, it's it's having that framework set up for long-form storytelling. And this is where Filoni seems to really excel is we saw it in the Clone Wars and we see it in Rebels is that he's seeding things at the end of season two for one of the last episodes in this series, which is fantastic because you don't see a lot of people doing that. Even I feel like Lucasfilm right now, as they're constructing the saga films, they don't have near that framework set up or that foundation where we say, 
Rey is here at this point as we start The Force Awakens, and she is going to be here at the end of the 10th or 9th film, sorry. And they never seem to have that. They seem to be going as the film's role. Yes. And the problem with that is that you have a tendency to shift gears and to do things that maybe don't make sense when you look back at the original film or the film that seeded it. Like we've always had a bit of a complaint with the last Jedi and the reveal of Ray's parents because of the way it was set up in the force awakens. So you're not seeing that long form storytelling because to me, I don't care what anyone says. There was bigger plans for that. It made (laughs) no sense the way it was set up in the force awakens and the way it was revealed in the last Jedi. Now I accept the way and what maybe Kylo's doing in that film. And so I didn't have a huge particular issue with it because I still think there's an opportunity to again show why Kylo was doing that as far as manipulation or whatever. But mm-hmm. again, having that that framework and that ability to see and have that foresight for what's going to happen is very important. And like you said, Filoni is a king at that. And this episode speaks volumes towards that. Yeah, definitely, man. Yeah. Um, now with Ahsoka back, now back in the timeline, I, you know, we're going to get to it when we get to the last episode here, but I absolutely love it but my only issue with with it is is that we always had this idea but what were they going to do with the jedi for the original trilogy now i felt that they dealt with kanan in a very respectful and appropriate way but now they throw ahsoka back into the timeline well she was never out of the timeline but they throw they show why she's back in the timeline that she's actually alive and that that again creates somewhat of a problem with where was Ahsoka during the original trilogy. So they solved one issue with Kanan, and they eventually get to solving another one with Ezra, but they have this lingering character out there. Now, this is Filoni's creation. This is one of the best characters to come out of the new Star Wars canon, or at least this form of storytelling. And we will get to it, but I felt at the end of this episode, my my only lingering, I'm not even going to say negative thought, but big question mark was, okay, this is a bit confusing. I wonder how they're going to rectify this a little later on. So again, as they close some doors, they throw others widely open to, I don't know if it's to incite speculation or just to to preserve a character so that they can do more storytelling a little later on down the road. So leaving those avenues and those doors open for themselves. Yeah, definitely. I, I was on the same page. I was wondering, you know, where has she been this whole time? Especially, you know, she's a huge factor. She's the only person that knows. Yeah, she's the only person that knows because Obi-Wan Kenobi would be dead at this point who uh, Anakin, who Vader really is. So that's a, that's a huge threat right there to the Empire. But I think because we do see at the end of Twilight Apprentice, we see that kind of owl thing kind of float off, mm-hmm. right, when she's leaving. And we do know that thing's connected, obviously, to the daughter, uh, some people even say they're this, the one in the same being. And we do know that Ahsoka's also gone to Mortis. She was also there alongside Obi-Wan and Anakin in the Mortis arc. So they might have some kind of connection. So I wouldn't be surprised during this whole period of time uh, between the original trilogy, she could be off with that daughter and they could be doing something because we do see at the end of the whole series, she comes back as, you know, Ahsoka the White. So maybe <laughs> they've had some kind of training, kind of something similar to like what Yoda's been doing in Dagobah. She could have possibly been off with the daughter, just furthering some kind of connection with the Force. I'm not too sure, but it, it, it really wouldn't make sense for her to just be chilling out on some planet while this huge battle is going on. And Ahsoka's probably one of the biggest um, 
tools they could use in the in the rebellion, right? At that point. Yeah, definitely. And we're we're gonna get an answer to that. Now whether yes. that's a new animated series, a comic book, of whatever. But the thing I like about it, it throws the door open for anything. Like yeah. she could pop up anywhere. Yeah. And I, I love that. And now that this is out there, they now have the ability to drop her into the forces of destiny, to drop her into the comic books and do different things with her because we have this reveal. Now, the, you know, the shackles are off with Ahsoka. They can do anything they want with her, but they have to be very careful on how they tell those stories to make sure that it doesn't step all over canon. That That's Great. my only caution with Ahsoka. But I love the way they brought her back in, and I love the way that Filoni was able to execute this without making too huge of, I'm not going to say a mess, but at least bringing in a lot of complexities to what we're seeing in Star Wars. It was, I find, to me personally, I don't know if, I haven't really heard, seen or heard much feedback on this world between worlds, but to me, it's it was elegantly done. Like, I really like how they did it, how it was executed, and the ramifications for it, you know, what it means. Like, they essentially closed this thing off, because we see through this episode, too, the Emperor's back, or the yes. Emperor's in this series. And I, I love that they brought him in, voiced by Ian e. McDermott, yes. and sounds brilliant. And I love that he's chasing both Ezra and Kanan. So, Ezra and Kanan, Ezra and Ahsoka in this. He seems to be using Ezra as a tool to get into this world between worlds to access it so he can have the ability to tweak things. So again, this begs the question as to how does, or how could he affect the timeline given this rules that they established? But anyways, I think it's cool to have him, you know, finally acknowledging that Ezra Bridger exists, that Ahsoka is yes. alive. So I really like all that and bringing in the emperor. I think you called this when we did our season three wrap up and we're discussing, you know, who's going to make an appearance in this. And I think you said the emperor. Yeah. Yeah. So glad he returned, man. That's oh. He's great. And that just feels more Star Wars for me. I mean, Sam Witwer does an incredible job, obviously, of voice acting this character, but it's it's nothing beats the real thing, right? So uh, having Ian come back and do the work he did is just great. Yeah. And, and I have to say here, if there is at all a lull in the back half of this season, it's the follow-up episode to this. It's called The Fool's Hope. Now, really, this is the ghost crew bringing themselves together and kind of putting together a plan to free Lothal. And you get a bit of this idea that, you know, is, I think it's Ryder, is he a traitor? Yeah. And they kind of come up with this this big idea as to how to start the beginning of the end of the battle for Lothal. Now, there's, there's not a lot in here to talk about with the exception of, you know, we've got Ezra coming back, he knows what to do, and they, they really concoct this plan about how to attack the main kind of dome and get at Governor Price. Now, the biggest standout moment for me here is we have Rook, whom we haven't really touched much on throughout this discussion. Now, he's coming out of the Thrawn trilogy. He's the one that actually murders Thrawn. He's like his best bud here. He is an assassin in here, and he is a thorn in the side of the ghost crew through the majority of this season. And you know what? I really like the character. You know, I know we haven't mentioned him much, but he plays a good antagonist, I think, for this ghost crew to make it seem like not everything is just kind of just rolling for them. Like he's a, a big adversary and I think a worthy adversary for fighting people like Kanan and Ezra. Yeah, he's he's not bad. I mean, 
Um, I don't know how he was in the original Timothy Zahn book. I know, obviously, like you said, he he took out Thrawn at the end. I was kind of expecting a bit more of this character as opposed to just being the big kind of henchman. Yeah. But it makes sense of his role because he is somebody that can go toe-to-toe with Zeb and Kanan and Ezra. Sometimes it's not necessarily very believable that he does it, but we do finally get some payoff when he did fight uh, Zeb and he went yeah. camouflage mode. That was like the biggest payoff for me. That really established where he fits in this world and how he can you know, uh, keep his own against the ghost crew. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I know mm-hmm. the, the standout moment in this episode for me is when you have the Empire attacking them at their base and they're chased into the tunnel or Ezra's chased into the tunnel. And he's standing there and he ignites that lightsaber and he's got the three wolves standing behind him. Man, is that a beautifully done sequence. And it really reminds me, I got got a huge feeling of Vader on the bridge when at the end of Rogue One there. That's exactly what I got there, but kind of on Ezra's end. Yeah. So cool. That that was great when he just ignites that lightsaber. You get that noise. And uh, you know, the this, this show got a little dark when <laughs> these wolves were going at it and just eating stormtroopers. Yes. <laughs> I didn't see that coming, but um, wow, you know, they did what they needed to do. That was crazy. Yeah, chucking them <laughs> off the edge of the cliff. And, yeah. You know, it got, it got pretty intense here. And they end up capturing Price, cuffing yeah. Price here. And the interesting thing, too, that I that I really liked is I didn't really realize that Ryder was the former governor of Lothal. Like, I must have forgotten that, or I don't know if that was ever... I, I just don't remember that ever being explained that way. And I was like, this is kind of a cool ending. Because at first I was like, oh, man, he's a traitor. This is the yeah. worst. But no, all good, all good on that. And the thing, too, that I like is that... We've got, you know, and this kind of happened earlier on in the season, but we got Rex, Gregor, and Wolf coming back. And I like the crew of the um, the clone troopers and all that. So they, they really brought in everyone. Hondo came back for yeah. the, this last few episodes too as well and kind of really hammering down and saying, you know, this is the crew that we've introduced you to throughout the last four seasons and we're kind of ending that. So we get a nice conclusion to a lot of stories. So it's it's really great. And this is the big setup for essentially family reunion and farewell, the very last episode or two episodes, if you want to call it that, of Star Wars Rebels. And, you know, when I sat down to watch this, I don't really know if I was in the headspace to say mm-hmm. goodbye to the ghost crew because this is it man this is the end of rebels not the end of the characters but this is the end of a show that you and i have really enjoyed discussing enjoyed watching and enjoyed seeing grow you can just by listening to us here you can tell that we're thrilled with what floney was able to put to screen so sitting down to this and i think you said this at the top is really bittersweet is that we had a great story here we had a ways to go in this episode but it's time to start really kind of saying goodbye to these characters, at least for the time being. Yeah, for sure. And it showed coming back from that mid-season um, winter break there, it was crunch time. There, there was no filler. Everything was go, go, go. And they were delivering and they were closing doors with a little bit of opening doors too. But uh, yeah, it really came down to crunch time. And uh it was tough, man, to just sit there and just and just watch the show. You know, four years is perfect, though. Four seasons, I think that yeah. that's that's great, uh, and I'm really glad that Filoni got to, you know, uh, do a beginning and end for this show. So uh, it was great to just sit back though and watch and see where this this was going because I had no idea where this was going. I, I thought maybe it's going to tie in more to Rogue One, and was I ever surprised that it didn't do that? Yeah, because we were calling earlier on. I don't know if it was last season or this season that oh, we're going to get right to the Battle of Scarif because yes. we saw the ghost in it, right? 
wouldn't get right there. But I'm happy that they didn't go there because that would have made it feel like it was part of another film. This is very much a standalone. It tells its own story and it concludes that story without trying too hard to be like, oh yeah, we're all the Battle of Scarif and then trying to wrap everything up. So it would have pulled you out of this larger narrative that they had constructed around rebels, if they had to tried to tie too close into elements that we're familiar with. So I'm happy they didn't go there. Yeah. And, you know, another character that we haven't spent much time talking about, because he really didn't have an, a huge impact in these first four or five episodes of the back half of season four is Thrawn. Now he gets his, his real return in this episode and kind of his bigger moments in this episode. But how do you feel about Thrawn and how they utilized him through season three and season four? Because I think he was much better in season three than he was in season four. Like they, they really took the focus off of Thrawn being the main antagonist and really focused down in on the ghost crew themselves, which I think was the appropriate move. But to me, it dialed back Thrawn's importance a little too much. Like we didn't quite get the Thrawn that I was hoping for, the Timothy Zahn Thrawn from the original Thrawn trilogy. Now, we may get that eventually, but we didn't get it in this season. Or even I think the overall arc that they designed for him just didn't quite hit the same way that it would have if Thrawn was put, again, post-Return of the Jedi, where he had that time to shine. He had that time to be an independent character away from Tarkin and Krennic and Vader and the Emperor and all that. Yeah, I'm right there with you, man, because I never did read the original Timothy Thrawn Timothy Zahn, uh, trilogy, so I heard all these great things about Thrawn, so I couldn't wait that we're going to get this guy on on a TV show. And, um, you know, like you said, episode three or season three, we got quite a bit of good Thrawn for a little bit. He started kind of to uh, to uh, to falter a little bit for me towards the end of that season, but then I said, okay, well, he's back season four. We're going to get the Thrawn that we need because this, this show is ending, and didn't deliver for me that much i kind of feel like if you never knew who luke skywalker was but you heard all these cool things that he did in episode four five and six and then you saw last jedi and you're like (laughs) oh that's it like i heard all these cool things and he didn't really do anything that's kind of how i feel about thrawn right now i didn't read the legends of thrawn or the legendary the legend series of thrawn but i'm like oh this is all we're getting of thrawn but there was moments uh throughout this series that i really liked a thrawn whether is when he kind of lost his composure at some points that stuff to me was really cool. I, I did like the fact that we got to see some combat of Thrawn, especially now going back to uh, the comic that's out. I'm, I'm starting to get into that run, which is cool. So I have a little bit more appreciation for that character due to the comics. So I guess that kind of made me feel let down a little bit more so because I didn't deliver all the way on Thrawn here. And again, I liked in the season, I can't remember, it must have been maybe the third or fourth last episode of the season when he lost it on Price. When he's going off on price about that explosion, he's like, she's happy that they killed a Jedi, but he's like, there's a bigger picture here. You know, that kind of stuff coming from Thrawn, I really liked, but I thought we would get more of the uh, the tactical kind of character who's, who strategizes over everything, who who loves and appreciates art. Like, why didn't we maybe even get Thrawn talking to Sabine about some of that art stuff? As cool as it was to get the minister, but... I feel like we could have gotten a bit more Thrawn throughout this episode. So when he does ultimately get taken out, it's kind of like, okay, well, when you bring him back, that's the second chance we'll have for you guys to deliver on the Thrawn that we we really want to see. I don't know. But um, all in all, he, he wasn't bad. Great voice acting by uh, uh, Nicholson's brother there. 
but um, shoot, I did want more, one more Thrawn. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you here. He he almost seemed like he was one of the things that were driving the narrative forward without mm-hmm. being super impactful to the overall story. Like essentially when you look at him, especially in season four here, he's used kind of as a plot tool. Okay, we need Ezra to interact with the Emperor that we see here. Let's have Thrawn come back and bombard the surface. We need to push you know, Ezra and Kanan to the point and the Bendu and all that at the end of season three. Was it season three or season four, whenever it was with the Bendu? Season three. Yeah. yeah, and so let's have Thrawn do this. So he seemed to always be pushing them in the direction that the Ghost Crew needed to go to get to some other end. Never so much an end between Thrawn and the Ghost Crew. So... Yeah, I, I I agree with you that they could have used him in a different way. And I'm wondering now, like, you're right, like having him more interact with Sabine because he's always kind of saying, oh, I'm a fan of her art and all that. So having that actual conversation may have been much more impactful than just having the interaction with a brand new one and done character that we thought was right. someone else for the most part of that episode. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I have to agree that, like, I'm a huge fan of Thrawn. I love the book. I love the character. And I love that Zahn is back writing him. We're going to get the Alliances book with its him and Vader at some point, I'm presuming pre-Rebels or at least sometime. Maybe that's when he's all gone. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> within the season. But yeah, they, they could have done a bit better with Thrawn. I like how they leave his ending somewhat ambiguous because it gives us the opportunity to kind of come back with him. And that, that seems to be a, an ongoing theme is we don't really want to end these characters at least most of them. So let's leave their endings slightly ambiguous so we can go on and do different things, yeah. roll them into different media, roll them into a live action film, maybe down the road. I don't know. So there's a lot of question marks on things here, but the usage of Thrawn wasn't what I exactly wanted throughout this series. Yeah. Yeah, I agree, man. Now, one thing that's that's really cool here that Thrawn does, again, facilitate is another interaction between Ezra and Emperor Palpatine. Now, what's really cool about this is this hollow projection of Palpatine pre-Return or Revenge of the Sith. And he's got this white robe on. He looks like Ian McDermott. This is a really cool sequence, again, because it shows how much Ezra's grown as a character. He puts him in a position where he can actually attain the one thing that he's been chasing since the start of this season is being reunited with his parents he sees them but he understands that there's a greater a grander picture here with regards to Lothal the empire versus the rebellion and the overall good versus evil and this whole sequence here I really really enjoyed it what are your thoughts on this emperor Ezra again coming together and having a big sequence together yeah, this was cool. Um, I'm glad they weren't done with uh, the Emperor. It was cool when he showed up. And I was curious. I was like, whoa, who is that guy? He kind of looked like a similar uh, Sith Lord from the Old Republic um, <laughs> for, for a second. And then it was obviously the Emperor. But it's cool because, you know, we've seen this before with the Emperor kind of playing with uh, certain individuals such as Anakin. I feel like he would have done the same thing to Anakin if he could have, you know, um, uh, tangled uh, or, 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 or waved Padme or his mm-hmm. mom in front of his face. Yes, he, you I know got what this. Mean? He, yes. He, exactly. He would have done the same kind of thing. So that, that just goes to show the expertise of what he has in manipulating certain characters. And I'm, I'm glad Ezra doesn't snap. It's close. It comes very close, but he doesn't snap under the pressure. So I thought that was really cool. I like what they did there, and I like 
how the holograms start to, you know, go in and out between uh, Sidious oh. and Palpatine. I thought that was so cool. Um, and those guards, you and I were talking off here oh, before. Yes. Those red guards, those those guards were interesting. I, I, I mentioned to you before, I didn't know if they're going to go the route of uh, Lords of the Sith, where it kind of shows that they used to be ex-clone um, soldiers, and they're now the guards. I, that would have been kind of cool to see them take off that helmet. But apart from that, no, this is this is really cool. I, I, everything was great, except for maybe just the whole thing you mentioned, where Thrawn just kind of delivers Ezra and just takes off. That was a little yeah. <laughs> I'm a, a little weird. <laughs> yeah, let's go back to those those red guards now. Yeah, they seemed like some sort of hybrid between the guards we're familiar with from the original trilogy that protect the Emperor, and yeah. the Praetorian guards that we got in the Last Jedi. Right. Now, I don't know if that's what those guards look like without those long robes on. Okay. Like if they just peeled those off. But the helmets looked a bit funny too. Mm-hmm. So it's the first time I've ever seen any of these things in canon. Right. And if anyone's out there that's listening that knows a bit more about what these are, if it's as simple as the robes off and that's what they look like underneath – or if there's some sort of hybrid. Like, I'm really interested in this now because it was an element that was kind of thrown at us, and we're like, whoa, what's that? And then it's done one and done, right? Like, we don't yeah. see it again, and no one ever talks about it again. So, <laughs> so yeah, that, that, that's pretty cool. And I, I liked how Ezra got to use the force, uh, full force, yes. <laughs> there where he uh, chucked the stones at the guards and all that kind of stuff. Just a cool way to show uh, show off his force talents. Yeah, and that was the kind of the final test, I feel, for Ezra. Yeah. is that you have this major temptation. He's offered essentially everything, and it's just to keep that gate open. That's kind of the Emperor's last attempt to get into this kind of temporal gate, this space and time. And Ezra refuses, and to me from there, I'm like, yes, they're going to end this character in a fantastic way. And they really do, because as we go towards the last few minutes of this episode, we get what are called the Pergils. They kind of like rip through... <laughs> <laughs> these big space lugs or whatever you want to call them kind of rip through the defense barricade that's set up outside or uh, the extra planetary defense by the Star Destroyers and all that. Rips through all them. They come blasting through here. I really like seeing Thrawn's Star Destroyer kind of in atmosphere. Really cool. Nice nod to Rogue One as well. And we have this last sequence between Thrawn and Ezra. Very appropriate. You know, it's a bit weird that the Pergrils were were such a huge part of the end of this series. Again, kind of walking that fine line between my Star Wars and something different. But I like that they had this nice throwback to the Bendu and Thrawn dying in the cold grip of many arms. Really cool way to end this. You have the big tentacles wrapped around Thrawn. You've got Ezra holding him there. And, you know, I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it here. Like Thrawn's yelling, you know, whatever happens to me is going to happen to you. And Sabine's out begging him, begging him to come off. And he says, you know, no, this is something I have to do. The Force will be with you always. The same thing that we hear from Kanan. It's just a really great way to end this character while also leaving this door just a crack open. Yeah, no, yeah, that whole sequence, everything there, you know, even up from the point when Ezra decides to leave the ghost crew and he's come to the conclusion that there's only one way mm-hmm. and one way only for him to carry out this mission. And I love how him and Sabine were both in on it. And it's a little sad, too, to see him take off because I'm thinking, oh, man, again, are, are we losing a character for good here? And I, I like what they established there. When it goes into the whole space wills, I was a little like, well, this is a little different. And I, and I totally forgot about these whales. It was when I was talking to you and you mentioned like, yeah, we were introduced to them, I think season two, you said, or yeah, something like or that. Something yeah, like it was that. a while ago. Yeah. So it was a while ago. So, um, I, I think the biggest thing I take is I do like that. They wrapped in the tissues from the space whales 
basically kind of taking out Thrawn, at least for what we know for now, um, back to what the Bendu predicted. So that made a lot of sense there. And um, I like the final scenes with them, you know, going off into hyperdrive, uh, hyperspace. I yeah. thought that was pretty cool. Very well done. And just leaves that huge window open. And it, it's great because it makes sense now that we don't have Ezra floating around during this whole time between episodes four, five, and six. I think you kind of mentioned something or you predicted something like this, like Ezra is going to be off just somewhere else in the yeah. outer rim while this is all going down. So it works. Yeah, I'd always thought, and this is kind of the idea that I wanted to do with Thrawn as well, and maybe not execute it this exact way, but essentially you remove the characters, but they're out doing something. I thought that, I even thought when we watched World Between Worlds, I thought Ezra was going to end up stuck there as the guardian yeah. of the World Between Worlds, and that's why we never see him. Is He is just there to protect it from the Emperor, to protect it from any other intervening threats, and that's why we never see him again, is that he's essentially just a guardian of the Force you know, within this world. So I think it's cool what they did. They leave it purposely ambiguous because these characters are just out there now. And what yeah. happens when you're fully exposed to atmosphere and then go into hyperspace, you know, that it's not canon breaking as far as I know about having someone live through that. And so again, they can just establish things. Maybe they go into some sort of weird, like animated stasis where they're kind of alive, but not really. And just, they don't age or anything. And the next time we see Thrawn or Ezra is they're just going to look the same, you know, like they're not right. going to have age. They're not going to be DJ. It's not going to be Snoke. You know what I mean? <laughs> All the theories get tossed around. <laughs> well, that's just the thing. So many theories going around and, and I'm right there with you. I thought um, with that episode world of worlds or between worlds, I thought, yeah, like Ezra was going to be trapped in that temple because when you go back to the Mortis arc in clone wars, when Anakin goes there, he's basically meant to take the spot of the father and kind of keep the, 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 the son and the daughter in balance because one is light, which is the daughter, and the other one is pure evil, which is the son. So I thought maybe you're right. Maybe that's what Ezra was going to do, and he's going to take the place of the father and kind of stay in limbo in that in that world. But they did something so much cooler, which is just now has us theorizing what is Ezra doing? Like when he comes back, because obviously he, he must. We, we do see that uh, Sabine and um, Ahsoka are off on a mission to yeah. basically bring him back. So now this is like, has Ahsoka met? Luke does Ezra meet Luke when he comes back like there's all these all these things out there now that we have no idea what's going to happen is Thrawn the big bad like you could essentially do the Thrawn legend series now in a sense when he does come back and he would be about the same age maybe because maybe age is just on pause there like who knows it's it's crazy man this there's so much stuff but it's all goodness it's all good um fanboy talk that we can have now about what's happened between this timeline it's it's crazy yeah and to me it makes the time between return of the jedi and the force awakens probably the most exciting that they need to explore there's so much left open there and even into the the end of this episode right we see this big dome on lothal that's exploded the death of price and essentially the liberation of lothal and then we get this really nice epilogue from sabine she is now talking post to the battle of endor which is really cool this nice jump in time to do an epilogue i wasn't expecting this but really she says here you know the attack we anticipated never came the once invincible empire had begun to fracture and a small rebellion had become bold and with a decisive victory at the battle of endor the emperor's reign of terror came to an end 
After the war, Zeb took Callus along the secret hyperspace path to the planet Larasan. It was there. It was then that Callus realized that he hadn't destroyed the Lasat people and that they were thriving on this new world. So right there, we jump up into the Battle of Endor. We get a nice explanation as to what happened with Zeb and Callus, two characters that I believe I know myself and maybe you and I both both oh, yeah. predicted were going to bite it in this season. And you know what? It's okay they didn't. You know, they seemingly imply that both of them fought with the rebellion right through the Battle of Endor, which I really like. I think that's kind of cool. And continuing this epilogue here, a world where, sorry, and this is going on from the the Cal stuff, a world where he was welcomed as one of them. Hera fought in the Battle of Endor, as did Commander Rex. By that time, there had been a new member added to the Ghost crew, Spectre 7, Jason Sandula, born to fly just like his mother. And, well, we all know who his father was like or what his father was like sorry now just stopping there so the couple huge things huge reveals there one we know Hera makes it well into and fights in the battle of Endor which is pretty cool one of the forces of destiny episodes actually I believe has Hera on Endor with Leia I believe and Commander Rex so this seems to be an official canonization of Rex fighting in Endor, which is something that has evolved out of a fan theory. I believe the guy's name was Nick Sands, something like that. But essentially, they've taken that character and retconned him in the new canon to being Commander Rex. We see him in this episode don that very familiar Endor gear. Yes. And so there you go. It's confirmation that both Hera and Rex both fight in the Battle of Endor, which is really cool. Yeah, that's... Oh, man, that's so cool. You know, you and I have been talking, I think, for the last, man, maybe a year and a half about... Since Celebration, uh, when they showed that art. Yeah. Well, even, even beforehand, because we saw the fan, the yeah, fan yeah, uh, yeah. speculation going on. And so it's, it's like, we heard it, and I'm like, okay, cool. And then they kind of reconfirmed it, and then I'm like, okay, cool. And then for the third time now, we have it in canon at the conclusion of this series. I'm like, okay, cool. Like, it's it's officially Rex. So I think that's really cool. And yeah, you know, we, we saw Hera Forces Destiny... Um, Kind of Han Solo, I think. It was, was Han, two. yeah. Yeah, I think it was those two in, um, in Forces of Destiny, which is really cool. And um, I just, I really like what they did here, how they they closed out hard. But the biggest thing for me is uh, Jason Sindula. Yeah. Like, I may have even said Jason Solo when I said that. I don't remember <laughs> him when I'm reading this. <laughs> I think you said Sindula. But um, I think that's so cool. That, again, so many doors open. He's Kanan's son. Is this guy going to go off and train with Luke Skywalker, you know, um, and Kylo Ren or Ben Solo? There, there's so many goodies in there, what they could possibly do with this character. His look is a little interesting, but again, it's animated. So I'd really like to see him live action yeah. or comic book form to see what he really um, looks like. Because he's going to have the, the piloting skills of, of, of um, Hera there. And, you know, possibly the Jedi powers or who knows, who knows what's going to happen with this character. But I think that's really cool how they uh, they did that. And I, I, and I want to hear about Cham. Hopefully they bring up um, Hera's dad because I'm a big fan of, of his yeah. from um, Lord of the Lords of the Sith there. Yeah. Awesome. And the kind of the interesting thing about Jason Syndulla is the spelling of it. And I went and looked on Wikipedia. So I'm assuming this is right. It's J-A-C-E-N, which is the same way they spell it in Jason Solo. So it's, it's a nod to that. Like, that's all I could think of. Mm-hmm. when they said it i was like that's a weird name to throw in there like you could have chosen any name yeah but they went with like they could have called him caleb or anything like that after his dad but yeah. jason it's a direct it seemingly to me is a direct nod to the old legends jason solo like they're clearly never gonna have that character come back so 
they've taken that name and just kind of a nod as a lot of some stuff in rebels is and was is you know right. kind of nice nods to some of the legend stuff that people really like so I, I i like it i think it's cool that we have this now character out there that again is another avenue they have to explore because we have yet another potential jedi in the post return of the jedi era that's so cool yeah because was jason solo pretty much just like what ben solo yeah. slash color red turned out it was him right yeah They're about the same yeah kind of okay. there's a twin there's jana and jason solo the twins and all that so Right. Yeah, it's right. quite a bit different, but all in all, I, I'm happy with New Canon and all that. But it's yeah. kind of a nice nod. So, cool. And so just to cool. wrap this up, so this is, again, Sabine talking. She says, as for me, I used to think that Ezra was counting on me to protect Lothal, the planet and the people he cared for so much. But one day I realized there was more to it. There was something else I was meant to do. Ezra's out there somewhere, and it's time to bring him home. Pan to Ahsoka the White. I love this you know it brings up a lot of questions you know where was ahsoka during the whole original trilogy you know we've got our one last hope being luke potentially leia as maybe is mentioned in return of the jedi by a force ghost yoda but i will take those questions for now because I have the confidence they're going to iron it all out somehow, some way. She seems to have really progressed into something different. Like we call her Ahsoka the White in kind of a funny way. It's a nice nod to Gandalf the White, who comes back from the dead, essentially, to become something bigger than anyone could have really imagined. So I, I really like this. And does it break canon a little bit? Maybe. I don't know. We'll see. But I'm, I'm happy, and I'm happy to see that they've given reasonable explanations for every single character, including Sabine. She stayed on Lothal because she thought that's what Ezra wanted her to do. So she never left there. They planned for this big retaliation from the Empire. It never came. So in the absence of Thrawn, the importance of Lothal kind of disappeared, and as did the TIE Defenders. So it kind of wraps all that up, why we didn't see the TIE Defenders fighting anywhere else. It disappeared because Krennic's Stardust Project, as was mentioned earlier on, took precedence. So I really like how they wrapped everything up here. How are you feeling about Ahsoka being back in the timeline, post-Return of the Jedi, and how they wrap all of this up with this nice epilogue? Oh, this is this is crazy because again, like you mentioned, this opens more questions. Where is she between the original uh, trilogy? Then, of course, where is she between episodes uh six and seven you know there's so many doors that are open now and i just think this is great you know i'm, I'm looking at the, the image right now of ahsoka the white and it's so cool to see this character from where she came from from the clone wars movie which i don't think anybody likes the clone wars movies it's, it's it's kind of bad but she was introduced in that show and she was just whiny and you know she had the nickname snips and to see her growth come all the way from the end of clone wars to rebel season two yep. and then to see her now fully grown as you know ahsoka the white here is it's it's unreal man it's incredible what filoni's done with this character and just she's in my top five favorite characters of all time in star wars i think she's fantastic and i can't wait to see where they're gonna go and now we also got this other news drop that um uh john favreau is going yes. to be writing and producing a new series and and man i think it would be really cool if he got to team with filoni and they could make this live action and give us this this journey between Ahsoka and Sabine and see where they go. Who That'd knows what awesome. they're gonna do? Yeah, it's just it's crazy. But like you mentioned, so many doors are open now. Let the theorizing begin, and I just can't wait to see what they do with this character. And it's gonna be tough to see where they go because they have a couple questions to answer. Right? Where was she between the original trilogy, mm-hmm. and where was she between episode six and seven? So 
Ah, I can't wait, man. Can't yeah, wait. It's awesome. You know, we, we rolled into this season and out of the back end of season three, expecting very much a conclusion to all this. Like, right from the beginning of all this, I think a lot of us expected, okay, they introduced these new characters. They essentially all have to die before the start of Rogue One or at the time, A New Hope. And it, it didn't go that way. And I'm glad it didn't go that way. I don't know why I was so kind of fixated on this position that everyone has to disappear in a way like it's, it's perfectly explained all here. And, you know, it gives us a, a nice foundation to leap off with into something different going forward. And I, I think this is just a, just a nice elegant way to end all of this. You know, Filoni took advantage of this four season story arc and closed it out appropriately. This wasn't a season of conclusions. This was a season of giving us an appropriate story and appropriate end for most of our characters. But really, it's not a series finale as much as it is, you know, as the season opener for something bigger. Yeah. You know, and so I just love everything about this. You know, Rebels, it has its hit and misses, of course, being long form storytelling, 24 plus episodes per season, the first three seasons, you're going to get some lulls in there. Yeah. But the big episodes and the overall arcs and the characters that were introduced here far outweigh any sort of negativity you could put on like Iron Squadron episode and all that, those kind of more <laughs> bottle episodes. This series is i think an absolute must for any star wars fan if you're gonna pick up any section of canon i would have to say rebels has got to be close to if not on top of the list what are your thoughts yeah. on that yeah i'm right there with you because i remember when i first laid eyes on this i thought ah oh, it's pretty disney like it's not going to be as dark as uh, the cartoon network's uh clone wars and, you know, I stuck with it. That season two trailer, I'll, I'll, I'll repeat it over and over again, really got to me when I saw that trailer. And that's what really got me into the show. And I've been with it since. And it delivers. Like, you and I have been going on and on about throughout this whole episode is how much it connects to the OG trilogy, to the prequels, to the new era canon now, too. It, it just attaches itself to everything. And, yeah, you called it, man. You if you're a Star Wars fan, you owe it yourself to watch this show because you can't pass it up. You might be able to pass up some comics, some novels, definitely the video games. But when it comes to this show, it's a must have. You, you got to pick it up. I can't wait to get all these all four uh, seasons on Blu-ray now. It's, yeah. it's just going to be a fantastic watch, especially just to binge watch. And like I mentioned before, the half of the season really picked up for me because the beginning of season four, I was worried. I wasn't really on board with it that much. And when we got back from the winter break, it became one of my favorite seasons i can honestly say now after watching it so um you know it's yeah i mentioned it before man it's bittersweet but um i'm glad they ended it on the note that they did and i look forward to seeing what else uh stories happens to open up for us yeah man i i'm, I'm right there with you it's it's and all the credit goes to troy on this one for me is that <laughs> i'm sitting here on the other side of things saying this is this is a must watch and i honestly didn't start watching this until troy said just watch the season two trailer, the mid-season trailer. And from that point forward, I've been a Rebels fan. And we did this show. We followed along with season three, most of season four. And it's become something that I'm calling a must-watch. And like you said, when this comes out on kind of a box set on Blu-ray, I'm definitely picking it up because just think, you know, my, my daughter found kind of her path into Star Wars through Hera. But now to sit and watch this whole thing, rewatch it, with our daughters in the future someday, like it's going to be awesome. It's going to be a nice piece of Star Wars 
canon or whatever you want to call it, media or storytelling, I guess is the best way to put it, to sit down and watch. Like it's like a trade almost, right? It's yeah. like you watch this thing in one concurrent, not sort of sitting, but over the course of a couple of months, like this is going to be some of the best stories you're going to get outside of the films. And sure. it's a definitely a high recommend for me. So if you guys haven't watched this, hopefully you have because we just spoiled the hell out of the whole thing. <laughs> but I, again, I think I have to reiterate, it's it's an awesome, awesome show. And I'm so pleased that we got to sit and discuss this for as many episodes as we did. And try to thank you, man, for, for putting all this together. This is your idea to sit and talk about Rebels kind of each and every week and kind of summarize it in more of this isolated podcast that steps away from uh, the Nerd Room podcast where we kind of talk about everything at a high level and kind of really get into the depths of this thing. Because to be honest with you, man, part of the whole experience for me was watching it, but the other half was talking about it. And I think that's that's what's been brilliant about it for me and why I've loved this so much. Oh yeah, right back at you, man. I'm I'm glad you've been around for me to 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 rant at with, with all this uh this good talk of rebels, or else I would have nobody to talk to about, you know. <laughs> so so it's good. You got me on the black series and all that good stuff. So I'm glad I could uh, return the favor and get you into uh, Filoni's rebels. Definitely. So glad you liked it. Yeah, Definitely. Man. All right. Well, that more or less wraps it up here for Star Wars Rebels Alert, our podcast after show where we did discuss each episode, or more for the most part, each episode of star wars rebels now this caps off this which doesn't mean we're done talking star wars in a single form podcast we're of course going to be coming back at you guys eventually with something new we're going to see what drops on the streaming service in 2019 and kind of pick it up from there i think with this favreau series now announced we have a line of sight to kind of our next after show type podcast within the star wars universe but that's not all that's coming for us we've got of course the weekly nerd room episodes that drop every single thursday where we talk all things star wars marvel and dc and we are continuing with our mcu retrospective series winter soldier will be coming out at the end of this month followed by guardians age of ultron and ant-man all before infinity war so we do have a bit of work to do before getting to infinity war but we are up for the task and also we have committed to doing the dark knight trilogy as part of a retrospective series after the end of infinity war so there's still a lot of podcasting to come from us here in the nerd room that's myself troy and our boy sunjay so make sure you tune in every single thursday to hear what's going on and we will be coming back at you guys eventually with another podcast. We like to keep about three on the go here, but we're going to put one on the back burner just for now to make sure we get the best content and the best series to discuss next. So for the Nerd Room Star Wars Rebels Alert, for the final time talking Rebels, at least as the release dates, I'm Tim. I'm Troy, and thanks so much, guys, for tuning in. Yes, thank you very much for tuning to Star Wars Rebels Alert, and thank you for entering the Nerd Room. This has been a Nerd Room Podcast production. You can find our hosts, Tim, Troy, and Sanjay on Twitter at TheNerdRM, TroyTheBoy87, and Sunjabby. For more content from The Nerd Room, check out TheNerdRoom.net. Don't forget to subscribe to The Nerd Room on iTunes, Podbean, and YouTube. Be sure to head over to StarWarsCommonwealth.com to find more podcasts in the Star Wars Commonwealth Podcast Network, including Talk Star Wars, Tumbling Saber, Generation X-Wing, Rogue Squadron Podcast, Skyrim's Podcast, and San Diego Sabers. Follow the Star Wars Commonwealth on Twitter at SW Commonwealth and take your first steps into a larger world.